Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tungata Whenua of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. So aside from getting pulled into work today unexpectedly, how's your week been? Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty good. I mean, it's been three days since I last recapped my week with you, so... How's your half week been? <laughs> well, I went to work this morning, but then afterwards I was going to the gym, and after that I got this amazing passion fruit glazed donut from my favourite cafe, because I figured, treat yourself. And also... The sun is out and it's actually marginally warm for the first time in weeks, it feels like. I know, so I can I, see your arms. I am so excited. I know. Um, so I had my donut sitting in the sun on the waterfront and it was just divine to remember that sun exists. So that was a nice little moment. Um, what else have I been doing? I've been watching a lot of The Legend of Korra. I don't really know how I feel about it. Like I find Korra kind of insufferable, which I don't think is an okay thing to say i don't think that is fandom approved you can not like a character but still find the story interesting yeah i just she makes some choices where i'm like mm, are we not learning okay fine um but i'm sort of also obsessed and i can't stop watching so i'm on to season three and i only started like a day ago oh my gosh so they're only 20 minutes an episode you're but giving still. me hope i need to finish this series i've seen some of avatar and a few episodes here and there of Korra, but I haven't watched all of anything. Yeah, I did my second rewatch of Avatar this year, so I thought Korra just came on Netflix. So I'm like, okay, I'll watch this, and yeah, can't stop watching. So I'll probably be done with that by tomorrow, which will be good. Nice. That's what holidays all about. Yeah, it's also just nice to finish it, and then I'm like, okay, I can watch something else now. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then what else have I been doing? Oh, I just had this like amazing feeling yesterday of just being done because my bed got delivered, my new bed. Yes. Is it so and it's a, yeah, and it was like two weeks early. So I finished building it and I was like so excited not to sleep on the mattress on the floor. And I put all the boxes out for re- recycling collection last night. So the box, my bed came in, the box, the couch came in, all these boxes are out of the house and brought the last things that were like in my car up the steps to my new house. And it was just this feeling of like, that's it. That's everything. I'm You're done. In. You're moved. Yeah. And it's just such a nice feeling. <laughs> it is a nice feeling. That is great. Uh, how's your week been? Oh my goodness. It has been really good, I think. Um, so my husband is on holidays with us at the moment and he is doing all of the cooking and it is so good. I just <laughs> love it so much because I'm like, oh, we should have dinner. And then like I come out and half an hour later, he's made something. I'm on a break and I'm loving it. Um, so he made a really beautiful carne asada and it was so good and it was so Moorish and I don't like my meat pink at all like I don't like any pink in it at all so he made mine quite crispy and, and like very mm-hmm. well done and it was just still so tender and perfect yum <sighs> yeah I'm gonna dream about that for a while um and also I have been watching every single Christmas movie I've decided the liminal space between Christmas and New Year's for me is like Christmas movie time oh fair enough um so you told me to watch last Christmas and I cried my entire face off but it was so good it had like all the things I love which is like falling in love with someone impossible and also like getting better and growing and being part of a community and Amelia Clark being super adorable and also a little bit of magic which you love I do love magic. I love the world of thin places where the like barrier between 
reality and not reality is just really blurred. So, um, and I finally watched The Holiday, which I had never seen, mm. and it was super cute. And do you remember when everybody had blackberries and that was like how you knew they were a serious <laughs> business person? Yeah, everyone so. there had blackberries, and I was just like, oh right, those used to be a thing. I only just watched that for the first time a couple of weeks ago as well. I think it held up really well. Yeah, well, Jack Black was so charming. And so, yeah, other than Christmas movies, I think I've been listening to a lot of like really sad, lonely type music because I just really love feeling my feelings. But um, because yep. I've been stuck in the house <laughs> with the kids and I love my kids, like I love to be at home with them. But I thought, oh, I've got to run an errand. And then I thought, oh, I'll take a walk. And it was just really nice to like put my headphones on and go walking by myself in the rain for an hour and run my little errand. Um Oh, it sounds lovely. But yeah, so I was listening to a band called Black Belt Eagle Scout, and she's queer, Native American, and she's from the Pacific Northwest or lives in the Pacific Northwest. So like, just feels very home-like to me, because that's where Mm -hmm. I'm from. And yeah, just really beautiful music and can't recommend it enough, especially if you want to go walking in the rain on a not cold day. It's perfect. Oh, that sounds lovely. Well, I'm sure it'll be raining imminently, so maybe I'll give that a go. Look, I have done my best. It is raining now. It's going to rain all week, and I'm hoping that we have swapped sunshine for rain. I mean, that would be delightful. Just a little bit. I just want a week of summer. I'm not asking for a lot here at Wellington. <laughs> just a week. Give you me a week. keep moving to these places where it is miserable in the summertime. I tell you what, though, like in London, I had some amazing summers and I have never walked to work in the rain as much as I have here in Wellington. Like I, I maybe did it once in London. London has this really bad rep for raining all the time. And it's got nothing on here. Nothing. Mm, mm-hmm. Just putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm from Oregon. And when people from England complain about the rain, I'm just like, you have no idea. You have no idea how, how It'll much it It'll just rain solidly for like a week and it doesn't stop. And then yeah. the sun comes out, you're like, oh, that's why I was sad. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was depressed. I get it now. It's fine. I will stop complaining about the weather because I can't change it. You can't change it, but you still experience it. If I go back to work after leave and the weather is good, I think I'm just going to take more time off. Definitely. <clears throat> I apologize that I have a cold. That's okay, because I actually have quite a bit of allergy issues at the moment hay fever so we can both be a bit sniffly yeah sniffly and I sound old and sad and tired but I'm feeling so much better and it is not the big one test came back negative so like I was able to actually leave my house yesterday I didn't go anywhere before the test came back negative I just want everyone to know like a good citizen good job that's right there's an outbreak currently happening in our area and I was like not risking everyone's life just to go get a thing not worth it. Basically, one of the first things I did when it was all this kicked off, I bought a thermometer. Mm. And so every time I'm even a little bit feeling like a bit run down, I'm just like taking my temperature straight away because that's like one of the first signs, right? I'm like, yeah. do I have a fever? So far, no fevers this year, but Lord knows I'm checking. So this was a horrifically hard to read section. Yeah, it was intense. Yeah. And we read it through the themes of awareness and grief and you took awareness and I took grief. Uh, We should probably do the summary, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Shall we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you want to read for? Um, I'll read for Sean. All right. Let's go. Cool. So chapter 53, Sean discovers that the horse in the stall Cor was in until recently has been horribly maimed. 
He confronts Mutt over this awful act. In chapter 54, on the second to last day before the races, Tommy Falk is killed. Uh, chapter 55, Tommy Falk's funeral is held the day before the races. Chapter 56, Sean and Puck kiss. Chapter 57, Puck talks to Gabe. He asks her not to race again and she refuses to listen to him. Chapter 58, Sean is worried for Puck and worried about Scarter, the piebald man. So it was a short section, but it had a lot in it. A lot of feelings going on there. How did you find it? I think for me, it was just really interesting to see where people have made assumptions about other people's motivations, I guess, and like mm. that kind of awareness. But also I found it really difficult. I guess I became more aware of the text as well. Like the whole scene of Tommy's funeral was just yeah. really intense and like his dad saying some things. I'm like, wow, I, I never even considered that angle. Like for me, it's always been oh, the patriarchy, crushed the patriarchy. And then he raised this really interesting point, which we'll get to. And I was just like, wow, that's really made me quite question the view, the way that I've read previous parts of this text. Yeah. Which was interesting. How about you? How was the grief? When you texted me to ask if I would take grief, I said, oh, grief is an old friend of mine. And then I thought, gosh, that's a weird thing to say about a feeling <laughs> most people have really negative associations with. But I kind of view grief itself as like the idea that you're not able to change what's happened or what's happening and kind of coming to terms with that and also all of the other feelings that are around it and with it. Like it's not one single thing. Hmm. So when I was looking for it in the chapter and when I was feeling it, I kept seeing like grief that might come to pass, grief over things that are immutable, grief over things that could be changed but shouldn't. Hmm. And I especially, I really felt a lot of grief coming from Gabe and from mm, Mutt Malvern yeah. of all people I thought you have to be very upset to do something this horrible which he does it felt heavy like even though it was short it felt you know it felt like a lot when I remember when I was sort of breaking these apart thinking like we needed to give Tommy Falk's funeral its, its own section mm. because it changes things for everybody I thought a lot about Gabe especially here because he's just lost his best friend and he's lost the future he was going to have with his best friend. Yeah, he would have had very, you know, they had a, just the dinner before where they were talking yeah. about the bands and all these things they were going to do in this life they were going to share and then just like that he's gone. Yeah. And I think there's something in that also kind of happening off screen, if you will. You know, we've seen a lot of people die through this book already, you know, people be mauled, but we don't see Tommy Falk. We just discover his body. Mm. there's this description of Puck finding it and Sean seeing her and she's not looking at him she's looking at the sand between her feet you know yeah. she's not even looking at Tommy's body and it's just so intense and also her it's like she almost knew she was like I have to go down and find Tommy if he's down there because Sean won't let her go down there I felt like that was for Gabe she was finding Gabe's best friend I don't know after that dinner party I would have thought okay well this is what my brother and his best friend are going to do so I think she was going down to protect or warn him or help him in some way yeah like that wasn't for her necessarily that was for Gabe but I love that she did go and hmm. and try and find him I think there's an interesting parallel there between so Gabe was told obviously that Tommy Falk has died but they never say who tells him no which echoes Puck not being able to remember who told her that their parents had died yeah like she doesn't remember the telling she just remembers it being true I thought it was interesting that Gabe's reaction was to clean and tidy and do things because mm. we've seen Finn do that previously you know yeah Gabe's working through a loss and Finn's working through fear and Puck just doesn't like tidying at all so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough so for me, I was thinking about awareness as a perception of a situation or, you know, knowledge of a certain fact. And I think for me, the bit that really jumped out was um, Tommy Falk's dad talking about the races. And there's this quote, 
So he's standing by the funeral pyre and talking to Puck and he sort of starts about, you know, the ritual that they're going to do and they've asked Sean Kendrick to come down and return Tommy's horse to the ocean. Mm. And he says on page 354, give the dead some respect like we used to. Give the Kapal some respect. It's not about the tourists coming in and lining pockets. It's about the Kapalushka and us. Anything else makes it a dirty sport. And then he's like, he remembers who he's talking to and he tells Puck, you know, you have no place on that beach. And I think for me, I suddenly realized that it isn't about so much the fact that she's a woman it might actually be the fact that she's not riding a kapal it's like this idea that if if it just turns into a normal race then all the sacrifices that had happened before is kind of what was the point of it which is not yeah. something that i had considered previously and i don't think puck considered it previously either off the back of that she says i feel something inside me slipping i'm still not sure if it was worth tommy dying for but i can see the allure of having one foot on the land and one foot in the sea i've never known thisby so well as i have the last few weeks yeah but i don't think she's feeling that just because she's ridden a kapalishka i think she's feeling that because she's riding in the scorpio races i agree so it's not so much about the fact that she's you know, she's she's riding Dove, but she's still had this transformational experience. Mm. She's still been to the festival. She's still done all these things. Yeah, she's blood on the rock, just like they all have. Yeah, and I guess the question then is, if they didn't ride the Kapal, would they still have that experience? If everyone know. was riding normal horses? I think if they were, then it would be a lot more like the races that Sean describes in the beginning, where he went mm. to the mainland to see them and then went, no, thank you. I'm never going back to do that. Like he wasn't yeah. interested in that. We, we've talked about the magic in Dove and the magic of Thisbe. And I think there's something about Dove being an island pony that's important to note. That she's not mundane in any way, really. Like she's got her own magic and she and Puck have a connection that's its own kind of magic too. I actually wrote on like my margin for that was I'm sorry Norman Falk I know you just lost your son but I disagree I guess it's just what happens when tradition is challenged in any case right like as soon as tradition is challenged people like well then it like makes everything we've done previously meaningless and that's not true because it had a purpose at its time like just because something changes doesn't mean what happened before it's meaningless I do think a lot about tradition and like there's a difference between tradition and convention yeah and I think that there's definitely some convention going on like the convention is that you always write a couple but that's just assumed it's not actually written down anywhere so she's able to kind of take advantage of that I also think for Norman Falk, this is less about the races itself, but also because it's part of his religion. You know, he's, Mm. you know, described as the old religion of Thisbe. So for him, this is a challenge, not just to the convention of the races, but a challenge to his belief system and his way of life. Yeah, not having room to accept any other, um, I guess, alterations or additions to it. It's really hard when you've believed one way your whole life to then Mm, change that. And he's very, he seems very dismissive of puck in general you, you don't have parents to set you right and this is the problem yeah. like he treats her very much like a child which is infuriating and she's very compassionate to him which i was impressed by there's definitely something about his inability to accept her reasons as being important and there's the lack of awareness that she is thisby too i think mm, for yeah. him he doesn't see that she's doing the work and putting in the time and he doesn't see that it's regardless of whether or not she has a capital she's still part of it and she's still valuable to it Yeah, definitely. And I think another place where there's awareness from Puck and where we can see her maturity in this thing is when she says, you know, sorry for your loss. He's like, well, we would have lost him anyway. And she's like, oh, I don't think that's the same thing. And that's actually a complete 180 from where she was 
you know, a couple of weeks ago when to her Gabe leaving was just as good as Gabe being dead. But now she's like, oh, actually, it's not the same, is it? Yeah, it's quite different to Gabe, isn't it? (laughs) I wrote that down, too, because I thought it tied in nicely with the idea of grief about Mm. what you're grieving and whether or not the other person is involved in it, like the person you are grieving for. I think there was also an awareness in the conversation between Puck and Gabe, which was real catharsis, you know, when Mm. he's like, don't race. And he finally apologizes for finally making a mess of everything and she's like oh it would have been nice to hear this earlier but there's an awareness from both of them in that moment I think where they realize that they just fundamentally want different things like Gabe wants to be on the mainland he cannot imagine a life where anyone wants to stay on Thisbe and for Puck it's inconceivable that you would leave Thisbe and I thought you know she says to him where is it she's page 363 she's like i don't want to live in a closet in skarmouth with finn in a separate little closet getting old don't you get it i'm happy here not everyone wants to leave this is where i want to be if i could have dove in my space and a sack of beans i'd call that enough like she's matured so much she can really articulate what she wants but also that is very similar to what sean wants right yeah so she's saying that would be enough and i think the implication is that she can then work toward other things But she Mm. wants to be there doing that work. Yeah, she doesn't want to run away. Yeah, exactly. She wants to be on Thisbe doing that work. She doesn't want to take her chances anywhere else because it's not home and Dove won't be there. I also love the awareness of Finn and Gabe in that bit where she's getting ready to leave for the races and, like, Finn's packing her a lunch and Gabe's polishing her boots. And it was just... I thought that was such a big thing for Gabe even to, like polish her shoes and they're just also keenly aware of what she's about to do the sad thing about this is that gabe lost tommy falk that is what has brought him back to the present Mm. that's what's made him look around and see what's actually happening in his life is like he has some control over what he's doing and he can't just be future focused yeah like he's gone back a little bit and looked at the house and he spent all that time cleaning and working to make it nice even though he's not going to be there because he's there now yeah and it's what he can do and he hasn't been doing that at all yeah i don't know um the other section i think we need to talk about is the first chapter of our section where mutt malvern goes completely unhinged and mutilates adana thinking it's cool and the absolute terror that sean experiences in that moment when he realizes what's happening. It was like he didn't realize that Quar might be in danger for a really long time. Yeah, he was sort of just like, it's almost because it's so inconceivable, right? Like, yeah. he cannot imagine that level of violence. He cannot, Im- like, to him, it would just be inconceivable. So that this is happened. saying, who would hurt a horse? Who would do this? There's, like, there's no reason for anybody to hurt this horse. There's this quote where he says on page 342, if you knew a thing about the horses under this roof, you would have known the difference between them even in the dark. And Mm. I think this is the crux of the problem with Mutt, is that he has no awareness, actually, of what's going on, but he just wants everything. Whatever he wants, that approval he wants, he can't get it for whatever reason. It's like it's not coming through those channels. I think if he were more like Sean, maybe his father would have a better regard for him. Hmm. But yeah, it just isn't, I don't know. He's just not willing or able, I guess, to put in the work. Because he could probably, if he just worked a bit harder and paid more attention. Definitely. He's He's got this idea that he deserves 
this without the work to put into it but he doesn't have the passion for it so and i think this you know sean shows some real awareness there of what actually motivates mutt because he's he basically does a hostage situation talk down Mm. when mutt's got core like pressed up against the stall and he's like you need to beat me on the sand if you want your dad to respect you yeah and then sean tries to knife him and there was real like awareness in that as well this realization of sean that like he realizes the extent he's willing to go to for core. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, he says on page 344, I'm shaking still struck with what Mutt nearly did to core and with what I was ready to do to Mutt. And then he says to Malvern, I wouldn't have been sorry. Like, and like in the middle of, I would not have been sorry. He's like literally clawing back for control, right? Like he's so mm. unsettled and miserable and scared. He has to visualize himself standing in the ocean with everything else outside of him around him. Yeah, I just think, yeah, that's real awareness there. Sean's like, woof, I have hidden depths of murder. It's sort of how how far he would be willing to go to protect Kor. I don't think he knew until that moment how far he would be willing to go. Yeah, and I think this comes through later on as well when he's having that conversation with George Holly, who I think shows another side of awareness. Like if we think of awareness as someone who is well, who has a well-informed interest about a particular situation, mm-hmm. then George Holly is all about that. Like he is always pushing Sean to actually interrogate why he does things. You know, he says, we've discovered it's not about freedom at all. He offers him partnership at his stables. That's huge. I know, it's massive, right? I, I don't know that I would be able to turn that down. For Sean to be able to say, no, I still want to be poor on Thisbe with the potential of winning my horse. That is huge. And that says so much about what Sean values. Yeah. And it's all about core, because then later when <laughs> Dory Maud also calls him out on his relationship mm-hmm. with Puck, which is another place where I thought there was, you know, awareness, because Dory Maud's like, neither of you is a housewife. Like, lol. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's okay. Puck tells him what to do. Bring me bread. <laughs> and she's like, you, you and I both know what you love, and those races are a jealous lover, which, you know, makes me think that Dory Maud's probably lost someone in the races but he says but she's pegged me wrong because it's not the races that I love and I think that's something he's only just realized it's actually mm. it's about core yeah it or is. maybe Puck yeah it's definitely becoming about Puck isn't it that because that that section is preceded by the line like I'm surprised there's any of you left you swallow her with your eyes and then, you know, at the funeral, he's like, I, you know, I need to find her and I'm the needing disquiets me. Like, yeah. He's become aware of how much he cares for Puck because he's willing to go through and ask people if she's there and if they've seen her. And he feels like doing that is making himself really vulnerable. Yeah. And that awareness also comes through, you know, when Puck asks him what the races are like and he's like, you know, it's battle and it's life and death or whatever. And he's like, I used to be very excited the day before the races, but that was when all I had to lose was my life. Like he's suddenly so hyper aware of what's on the line for him here, which is everything. It's core and it's Puck. Yeah. And Dove, who he likes to. Yes. Well, <laughs> Dove is amazing. Dove is amazing. Um, yeah. So shall we talk about grief? Yeah. Um, I have this C.S. Lewis quote that I really love that I want to start with. Um, He says, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. Mm. And that really resonated with me because almost all of the grief that we see is loss or fear or regret based in this chapter. Mm. That's interesting. Um, But it comes out in a few different ways. So 
like the section that we start with literally starts with Adana keening and keening is Irish morning singing, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's what they call it when you are at a wake and you start singing the morning songs. It's called keening. And she's singing her, her own farewell song. And Sean even says like, she's ruined in her own skin and doesn't know it. Mm. And that to me was like such a, an apt description of what grief can be like. Everything has changed in an instant, but you don't understand it yet or you don't know the shape of it yet. You can't process it yet, right? Like, it's too big to process. Well, exactly. And that was mirrored again later when he's letting uh, Tommy Falk's mare go. And Puck has that beautiful quote where she says, "Um, Then, so sudden and swift that I miss the moment of her disappearing, she's gone and there's only the swaying of the ocean surface. And that just is exactly what it's like when you lose someone unexpectedly. It's just Mm. so quick and everything looks the same around you, but everything is different. Yeah. And yeah, different, you know, forever. It's forever changed. A friend of mine, her father died when we were in university together. Um, And, you know, he was pretty young and it it was just devastating for her but I remember thinking like this is going to be the defining moment of her life like she will have this before and after moment before my dad died after my dad died and I don't know if that's true for everyone who knew Tommy Falk but it certainly feels like it like the loss of him is so huge Mm, yeah Sean's grief really got to me I think because he was so upset that something had happened to the water horses and that's where we always see his loss first. Yeah. Like, this would be the third. He killed Blackwell's first horse to save Puck. And then Fundamental was lost. And now Adana. And both Fundamental and Adana is at Mutt's hand. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the difference is that he didn't want to injure anyone. Like, he, he wasn't willing to let a human life go to save a water horse when it was Puck, but with Mutt, he was willing to kill him if he had hurt Kor. But there's also such cruelty in what Mutt had done to Adana. He didn't just kill her, you know, like he left her there to suffer. Yeah. Because he wanted Sean to suffer. And in a way, it's like... It's not very hard to kill a Kapalishka, really, if you have holly berries. We know that. Yeah. We know that that kills them. We know that that's toxic. It would have been so much easier to just kill Kor rather than maim him this suggests to me that mutt really wants sean to feel the same agony that he's feeling like he wants reciprocation for the injustice he perceives as happening to him and doesn't he say you know that's the only thing you love yeah and then later he discovers there's another thing yeah he's reconsidering it as he's watching sean try and talk him out of hurting core and i guess you're right like what motivates mutt to do it it is grief in a way right he's mourning the loss of a relationship with his dad and knowing that he's never going to rectify it. Like, after what his dad did in the last chapter, where he's basically denounced him. Yeah, he's lost the opportunity. He's lost that chance that he... Well, he's lost the assurance that it's his. He always felt above Sean Kendrick before, and now he knows he's not. And so his only recourse is really just lashing out. I think Sean's grief really gets me because he's made himself open in the story. He's made himself vulnerable. And grief can't mm. exist without that investment, without love, without empathy. Mm-hmm. We've always known that he's felt that for the horses, so it makes sense that he mourns them. I think there's a little bit of grief for the person he thought he was. Yeah, I think that's a fair point because he has also changed a lot. You know, we talked mm. about Puck's changes, but yeah, he's allowed himself to want things. And that's really kind of thrown him for a loop. Like he doesn't really know who he is anymore in a way. 
No, he's had to change, and he's changed so rapidly. It's like those kids who have rapid growth spurts, and they don't really know where their elbows and their knees are. And they'll run and bang into stuff because they haven't figured out where their bodies are in space. That's Sean, but, like, emotionally. And I think there's a bit where Puck asks him, you know, what do you feel? And he's like, I don't know what I feel. And he doesn't. He's so new to his feelings, and now he doesn't know. He's aware of the feelings, but not sure how to put them in context, I think. Mm. He keeps talking about how unsettled he is. How he has to find that stillness he knows is within him. But until he's really made peace with being able to love people that are outside of just Kapalishka, I don't know that he'll find that stillness again. Yeah. I think another place we see grief is Gabe when he goes to Tommy Falk's funeral and he, he talks to Tommy Falk's mother and he's just weeping, but he's still talking and he's so strong about it. I felt like, oh, this is his grief. He doesn't have to share this or subvert his own grief for his siblings because they weren't close mates with Tommy Falk. Like, only he was. So this gets to be mm. his and he gets to share it with the Falks. So I thought it was really interesting that, you know, he was very dry-eyed with his parents' death. But how much of that was him just going, right, I've got these responsibilities. I have to think about this. And he was almost too overwhelmed to really deal with it. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that reminds me of when my grandfather passed away and my mum's dad. It happened quite suddenly. And, you know, my parents basically immediately went to South Africa. But I sort of stayed back, tidied up things at home. And then I went, got on a plane landed there on the morning of the funeral, went to the funeral, and, like, everyone was just in pieces. My entire family were just devastated, Mm. and I kind of just was like, okay, well, I'm just going to be the pillar here because I just have to let everyone else unleash their grief and I will be here to hold it. Yeah. And I caught a plane back that afternoon, so I was only on the ground for the funeral and I was back on a plane, and I just... I was standing in the queue to go through customs and I was flying standby because... You know, it was an emergency flight, blah, blah, blah. And the air hostess was was helping me, was like, I'll just go on ahead and tell them to hold the plane for you. So you just move through the queue and I'll meet you on the other side. Mm. And so I was pushing through this queue and this guy just started ranting at me being like, we're all waiting. You know, how dare you push past me? I'm like, look, I'm sorry. I was just like, it's an emergency. They told me to push ahead. And he just like started yelling at me. And I'm just like, my grandfather just died. Like, have some compassion. And I just started bawling. And I was just crying the entire way. They had to help me onto the plane. Basically cried the entire flight home. And I'm on my own. Yeah. Because I had suppressed all that grief for other people. And I didn't allow myself to feel it until that moment. And I think that's probably what Gabe did with his parents. He was like, I can't fall to pieces because they need me. Absolutely. Yeah. I did think it showed a lot of growth for Gabe, though, that he was able to actually process it in a normal way, appropriately, in the right place. Funerals with family, that's where you are meant to get together and share these sorrows. There's a reason we gather. There's a reason Mm. we make a ritual out of it, whether that ritual is religious in terms of Old Thisbe or religious in terms of Father Mooneyham. There is still a reason for it. Uh, Yeah, and I saw that growth and like his processing of grief as well with how he explained to Finn that yes it's going to be an old Thisbe ceremony but you know you just kind of have to roll with it and it doesn't mean anything about your soul kind of thing he kind of took the time yeah he had that patience finally yeah I do wonder if some of his actual demonstration of grief is because he's losing a future I mean you expect to lose your parents right you do I think it happened sooner than he would have liked it certainly happened sooner for you know, Puck and Finn than it would they would have liked. But you do expect that you'll bury your parents. That's a normal thing that, that children 
understand will happen. Mm. But to lose your best friend when you're just about to start a new life together, that's like losing the other half of yourself. Like you, you lose a, an entire touchstone in a way that is just not normal. It's going to affect everything. I've said before that when he goes to the mainland, he's not going to really realize how much he's not one of them, how much of an outsider he is until he gets there. But I think it's going to be compounded now by the fact that he doesn't have Tommy with him. Tommy, who's like the life of the party and the heart and soul of the friendship. Yeah. The, the warmth. Is there also a bit of him, you know, as you say, like you expect to lose your parents or your grandparents because it's an inevitability of life. But when someone your own age dies, it's usually worse because suddenly you're like acutely aware of your own mortality in a way that maybe you weren't before. Yeah. And I think on Thisbe, sure, everyone's like, oh, well, people are dying, murder horses, all that stuff. But when it's someone that close to you, there's a bit, there has to be. Yeah, just because you're accustomed to loss doesn't make it any less significant. Mm. And I think like there's no acknowledgement of the fact that he was in the races because Puck asked Gabe to stay. But I'm sure that they all thought it because I thought it. Yeah, I thought it too. But also, like, Tommy didn't have to enter the races just because they stayed behind. Like, no. You could have just have chilled out, Tommy. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, he's always up for a lark. But then also, if his dad values the races that much, maybe there was some pressure there that we don't know about. Yeah, I think he's old Thisbe in the way that Sean is old Thisbe, you know? I um, I really liked that Puck was able to, as you said, Puck was able to grow past her initial rejection of Gabe's leaving, Gabe's dying, or the same thing, and and transform that into, okay, it might feel the same to me, but it's vastly different for Gabe. Mm. Like, that's a huge acknowledgement for her that she's mm. growing and changing and maturing as a person. So, well done, Puck. I'm very proud of you. Agreed. And I think even though she thinks it's the same to me, it's not really. Knowing that he's alive out there is different. Yeah, there is a difference in someone being distant physically and gone forever from like having shuffled their mortal coil Mm. i think that the reckoning of grief like the accepting of it puck's really good at getting through it because she's just so in the now she's very good at living in the present she doesn't lose herself to the awfulness because it's not so big that she can't handle it she's handled it before so she's got practice at it but she still finds a little bit of time to dream which i love Mm. so she says we will rule the races as king and queen of Skarmouth. I will have a farm and you will bring me bread for dinner. And she gives this to Sean and it's this like complete act of love. And it comes from the grief that she's feeling. And I just like, I am here for it. Grief is compost for love. We take what we have. We feed it into something else. We turn all of our messes into something beautiful. And I love it. I'm here for it. And it is what he needed to hear. Oh my God, it was such what he needed to hear. He needed to have a dream. And all of these people, they're so generous. They're giving him dreams. And you know what? I didn't pick up on this until you just mentioned it. But George Holly then throws that back at him later when he's like, you know, you're going to have a, a farm and I'm going to buy horses from you instead of Melbourne and you'll have Puck in your bed and this mm-hmm. whole thing. And that is the future for you. It's like... There you go, Sean. That's what gets Sean up, right? He says, all right, mm. well, I have to go win core if you want to get that cult of yours. <laughs> George Holly, man, he's just actual snack. I love him. <laughs> I'm so grateful for him turning up. I know I chose these chapters after a very basic skim, but I feel like it was a perfect way to wrap up this section. You get the devastation of losing... Tommy Falk. But then you get the reminder that George Holly, and there are George Hollies in the world, he's still out there. He's still doing the right thing. He's still doing his best for these kids who need 
support and friendship and guidance. He just blows into Thisbe like a little positive ray of sunshine and he doesn't let anything dim it. He's like, eh. Yeah, he's the American version of Dory Maud, who's very negative but realistic. He's very positive but realistic, and I love it. It's so delightful. I think we all need a George Holly in our lives. Yes, maybe that should be the goal. Like, what would George Holly do? That's what we should oh, think. I want one of those bracelets that say <laughs> that. I wanted to ask if you thought there was grief in the sentence, page 365, the end of the chapter. Um, Gabe says to Puck, you look just like mum right now. That is a compliment of Puck, obviously. Like she's, you know, he's acknowledging that she's grown up and she's yeah. capable and she's strong, you know, she's all these things that their mother was. But also there's a sadness for something lost there, I think. Yeah, you're right. I feel like he might not have said that before. Like he hadn't mm. come to terms with their parents being gone because he hates the house and he never wants to spend time there and he really wants to be gone. But he's fully present in these chapters and he's able mm-hmm. to kind of finally look at Puck and say, oh, you look just like mom, which I love. To me, that felt like not a redemption. I thought it was a like a love letter or a gesture of love even. Mm, that's lovely. So I think it's a compliment. Like she knows she looks like her mom, but Gabe saying it is kind of like acknowledging that she's holding this mantle and is capable because her mum was very mm. capable yeah I'm very sad that he finally apologized right before she's about to go die but I'm glad that he did say something even the bit where he says Puck don't do this I'm like this is you know this is what you needed to say all along but you were just expecting her to read your mind you know yeah also just him saying that Dove is just a horse. I was like, excuse me, way to completely misread the situation, Gabriel. Yeah. I don't think that Puck really has the words to say, like, if I had to sell Dove, it would be like the way you're feeling about Tommy Falk. Mm. That is really what it is for her. Like, this is her best friend. There's also like kind of a recognition from Puck that she says, you know, I don't feel angry about it. It's like, I've, I feel like I've known all along ever since I was little that he was going to leave and I'd just been ignoring it. Yeah. I think that's a big concession on her part as well. It's the awareness that she's known him to be the kind of person who can't really be happy on Thisbe, but she always thought it was possible that he was, because it isn't possible for her to be happy off of Thisbe. Mm. But admitting that she is aware of it, like, and was always aware of it, that's a really big step. And then he gives her a hug, which is another big step. Yeah. All right, Gabe, you get a pass this time. You've grown. You've changed. You're not the worst anymore. If they just had this conversation, you know, way back when he first decided to leave instead of the whole way that he did it, then she never would have entered the races. But then she wouldn't have met Sean, so... And she needed to meet Sean. I'm so glad to see him finally admitting that he doesn't just love the races. Just because he's good at winning them doesn't mean they're the thing he actually loves. I think also him admitting vulnerability and fear when he's talking to George Holly, you know, he's like talking about being scared of the piebald mare and he's scared of losing everything. I think mm. he's never allowed himself to be scared before. He's always been very confident. Like he knows he's the best with the horses. He knows the magic better than anyone. But now suddenly he's like, oh, actually, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, there are variables well outside of his control that could actually affect more than just him and things that he cares about. And I guess there's also more on the line, right? So suddenly all those things that before was kind of like, yeah, whatever, if I lose, I lose. Now it's the end of days. Yeah, because if Puck loses, then she loses everything. And if he loses, then he loses everything. But he couldn't bear either outcome. Like, what was the plan? So he rides outside Puck and then what? He finishes strong and wins it or they just see they have a, a real race and see who wins out of the two of them. I don't know. I think, honestly, I would not... So when I have these problems like this, like unsolvable problems, I just don't let myself think beyond that point. 
Mm. And I feel like that's exactly where Sean is at. He's like, I have to protect Puck, so I will. I have to win, so I will. But, like, he isn't able to hold... Like, he can hold both thoughts in his head, but he isn't able to reconcile them. And that's okay. I just... I want them to be happy so badly. I Like, I, I really want them to be happy. I want these fake people that were invented by some <laughs> random woman to be happy. That's how you know it's good writing, because we care so much. We've spent so much time with them, too. Yeah, it's really nice just to dig into the motivations and, like, make the connections to things that have happened previously and, like, drawing these things that I may not have noticed, you know, like Puck saying to Gabe that all I want is Dove and that would be enough if I had Dove in the house and Sean being like, all I need is... You know, the sky, the sea, the sand and core. It's kind of like you guys want the same things. And it baffles me that people think they're not a good pair. Like Dory Moore being like, you two are not for each other. Why not? It's because nobody knows Sean. I really think that he has held himself so far above and apart that people just think he's completely uncaring. He acts mystical and like aloof. But how much of that is just a traumatized kid trying to make his way? And they actually, they benefit from that. They benefit from keeping him at arm's length. Like, it's Mm. almost easier for them if he's this, like, you know, this kind of guru off to the side that they just yell for when there's times of trouble. Why has no one made an effort like Puck has to really... Or George Holly, who has been on this island for, like, a minute. Yeah, it's that George Holly is, I think, an exception because he doesn't know that Sean has this almost mystical cachet. I I think of him as like a Thisbe priest, Hmm. right? Like he's doing all of these things. Like he he does the funeral where he lets go of of Tommy Falk's horse and like sends the ashes into the sea and speaks the words. Like that is like a priest's job. Hmm. You know, Puck in that moment, there's, you know, she talks about how she has the same experience that she did when she was on the rock where she felt drawn into Thisbe. So it's that Hmm. kind of like that physical experience. And she says that, I wonder then at how many times this moment has taken place. And I wonder too, like, how many times has Sean done this? Like, yeah. Why does this fall to him? I totally get that he is amazing with the horses and he knows the magic better than anyone. But also, it's a lot to ask of him. It is. Yeah. And I think he does it because he loves it and he loves Thisbe and he loves the Kapolishka. But because of that, he's really suffered in a way that he hasn't had the opportunity or the connections like yes he keeps himself apart but for everyone else by keeping him apart it makes it easier to take advantage of him like this to take Mm. advantage of his knowledge and it's not like they're paying him like he could probably use some money he's just expected to come in and save the day all the time and people are just taking advantage of him and then they have the audacity to be like oh you know that sean kendrick's got a foot in the sea don't fraternize with him like what He's good enough to save your life, but... Yeah, well, maybe they don't view him as a kid because he's been independent for so long. Like, he just is an adult because people see him that way, whereas Puck's still, like, you know, her brother is supporting her and she's doing odd jobs, which isn't really, like, a career, quote-unquote, you know. She Mm. doesn't really have that sort of respect. And also, she's tiny and a girl. Yeah. People think they can talk down to her and tell her what to do and advise her knowing that both her parents are gone. Whereas with Sean, because he always keeps people at an arm's length and he's been doing adult jobs for so long, maybe they've just forgotten. Yeah, maybe. But they should never have been put in that position. Oh my gosh, just thinking about the fact that he's lived in this tiny cupboard by himself for a decade. Benjamin Malvern, what were you thinking? Don't let a child live by himself. Oh my gosh. When he talks about it in the last section we read, he's so benevolent about it. I'm like, oh, I took him in. Like, no, you basically underage ch- child, child labor. labor. Yeah. Did you find the conversation with Benjamin Malvern 
after Adana was cut and, and Sean had talked Malvern out of Kor's stall. Did you find that really strange? He was so cordial to Mutt. Yeah, but also there's a mo- like there's this description of his like, you know, he asks Mutt to leave and then his gaze hardens and then Mutt leaves. I don't know what kind of dad he is, really. Well, he never does anything. There's no consequences. We never see Mutt being pulled up for any of this. There was just a part of me that when he, Sean says, you know, I wouldn't, and he takes that big pause when he's like having his internal monologue and he's like, have, you know, been sorry. And Melvin just crosses his arms behind his back and tells him to put Adana down. I don't think he would have cared if he had killed Mutt. Yeah. I wonder if Mutt is as inconvenient for Benjamin Malvern as he is for Sean in some ways. Because maybe if Mutt, oh, I don't know, because, you know, foreshadowing, but if Mutt was dead, would he leave the stables to Sean with no other heir? I don't know. I don't think Malvern thinks he's ever going to die, really. It's not a succession thing. Like, it doesn't feel like he, you know, is playing them off to inherit the empire, if you will. The way that he approaches the boys and says, isn't it a bit late for this entertainment? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just friendly sparring match. And he has so little concern for the the casualty of the horses. Like, this is another horse that his son has now killed. One of his horses. Yeah. That, you know, this is costing him money. And he's just like, hmm, okay. Like, it's bizarre. It's bizarre behavior from him. Yeah, because he pulls Sean up on fundamentals lost, but then immediately absolves him for it by saying... I see by your jacket that your story is the true one. Yeah, the interesting about Melvin is like, you know, you were saying before that Mutt just has no interest in the horses and that's maybe why he doesn't apply himself. And I think that Melvin also actually has no interest in horses, but he saw it as a path to glory. And so he has put in the work. He has gone, well, this is not my thing, but I'm going to work really hard at this because I can get wealthy off this. And now he doesn't ride anymore because he's like, "Mm, I got what I came for and I don't have to have anything to do with these horses that I don't actually care for. And I think that's probably what really gulls him about uh, Mutt. It's just that he's just like, why would I? Yeah, there's the difference between the two of them where the fable that he told about himself riding that man-killing horse was that he had nothing but the bruises on his skin. So he left a desperate situation in order to make himself wealthy. And he worked hard to do it because he knew that working hard meant he would never be poor. And that's what he Mm. wanted. His goal was to never be poor. And he's not. Mutt has always had. So Mutt doesn't have the same sort of like impetus. So that festering want that Mutt has, he might have inherited from his father, but he doesn't have anywhere to put it. He doesn't have anywhere constructive to like have ambition. It kind of comes down to one of the fundamental themes of the book, which is the difference between want and need, right? Like Mm. Malvern needed to love these horses to get what he wanted, whereas Mutt doesn't have that need. So therefore he doesn't apply himself. Exactly. Um... Just on that point where I said want to need, it reminded me of some marginalia that I wrote down on page 361 when Puck and Sean has this conversation about, you know, tell me what to wish for, tell me what to ask the sea for. Mm. And, um, you know, she's like, you whisper to it what it needs to hear. Isn't that what you said? And she tells him that lovely story that you've already mentioned. And then he says, I have no wishing shell to throw into the sea when I say it, but I know that the ocean hears me nonetheless to get what I need. And yet again, it's this difference between need and what you think will make you happy. You know, like, he doesn't ask to be happy. He says, to get what I need. He doesn't actually know what he needs, but he's trusting the ocean to just, like, give him what he needs. Which, it does. That is the religion of Sean Kendrick, right? Yeah. He didn't need a mother, but he did need core, and the ocean gave him core. And when he first sees Puck, he sees her in the ocean. 
Hmm. Maybe if we think about the magic of the ocean, you know, maybe Sean's dad was never supposed to ride Cool. Like when he has that memory back in the first chapter, he talks about how when I ride him, this is what I've noticed. And his mm. dad then rides him in the races. And it's like, he was never supposed to ride it. And the ocean's like, nope, not for you. Taking him back until Sean is ready. And then he can have him yeah. back. It's like, you've interfered with my plans and therefore I will now kill you. <laughs> Whoops. I think you're onto something there. I had the same feeling that Cor was never meant to be his father's. And it's interesting that you said, you know, he didn't need a mother, but he needed core because we finally got, you know, some answers on that in the last section we read where we found out that his mum left before his dad caught core. Mm. So we got a timeline and it's like, interesting. Because his memories of his father, his father is afraid and his mother is miserable and wants to go home because mm. the weather's so bad all the time. And core is neither of those things. Core's never afraid and is of Thisbe and doesn't care about bad weather and loves the ocean just as much as Sean does and... And that magic is something that Sean can control and is part of core and is also part of Sean now, I think. I wonder if you get more capable of doing the magic the longer you ride Kapalishka. I wonder if that's partly why he's so good at it, because he's always done. He's grown up doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was there any other marginalia you wanted to talk about? Um, there was a great moment where Puck was with Gabe on the way to the funeral and she was talking about all the things he's done. And then she says, I sense that he's drowning, but I don't have any mm. idea of how to start to put my hand in the water to save him. She's so aware that he's struggling. And I love that she notes it and realizes that she can't really do anything, but is still present for him as much as she can be. Yeah, I mark that as well. But yeah, I just, it was really very savvy of her to kind of figure that out and to say something about it. So I really love that. And I also really like the fact that she is become this like Thisbe has grown into her even more because she's training I think it's something about discipline and ritual mm. that's implied Norman Falk says it's because it's the Kapalishka but I think it's actually just that you're putting yourself down for the same thing every day and you're doing this and you're working towards something like that has its own rewards and its own value yeah and Sean observes that in the last section right where he talks about how she's mm. become a better rider and she's less fearful and how Dove is like really fast and like really streamlined and is really benefiting from it and that's just discipline it's got nothing to do with yeah it's not the races themselves it's the fact that they're showing up every day and doing the work which um, maybe the races motivate you because it's death hanging over your head but you know yeah I mean, at, at the very least, it's going to be a bloodbath, right? Like, it's going to be awful. Was there any marginalia you found? So for me, I just thought Puck was going, she was feeling so much in Tommy Fox's funeral chapter. You know, there was just so much going on. She talks about how she sees the allure of having one foot on the land and one foot in the sea. But then also when she's watching Sean do this ritual, there's this line when she says, when Sean stands there, his face turned out to sea. He is more, no more civilized than any of the Kapolushka, and it unsettles me. And then a few lines down, she goes, I'm so full of an unnamed wanting that I can't bear it. So she's kind of like unsettled by him, you know, being one foot on the land, one foot on the sea. But also she desperately wants it. Like she wants that connection with this yeah. thing. And I just think that's that kind of warring inside you is just so powerful. And she's going through so much. She's doing so much growing. And it's just beautiful to watch. Yeah. Man, there's so much magic in the two of them. And the reality is in, in real life, you have to build it and create it. You don't just find it. There's not just some boy on a beach who looks after murder horses who's going to yeah. immediately, like, I don't know, vibe with you. I have to say, like, 
I forget that this only happens over a couple of weeks. Like, this is a lot to happen over a few weeks. But I think about that with the Christmas movies that I've watched as well. Like, the holiday takes place over, what, two weeks? I'm like, this re- these relationships have developed incredibly fast. <laughs> like, yeah. what? Yes. Yeah. Like, look, yeah, no, you can't, you can't love someone. Like, you can feel attraction and you can definitely, like, know that you'll get along with them. Like, there are some people I meet and I instantly know that we're going to agree on most things and we're going to get along in a great way. But that's not the same as, like, being willing to throw my whole life in with them. Or even like six months in with them. Move to another country. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Anyway. The um the other marginalia I really loved was that I think Puck correctly gets what Norman Falk is trying to say when she's talking about Sean. She says he's a reminder of what the horses mean to the island, a bridge between what we are mm. and that thing about Thisbe that we all want but can't seem to touch. Like that's actually what the Scorpio races are about. Yeah, I agree. I thought I marked that down as well. I thought that was really powerful. Puck's so perceptive, these chapters. Like, and that's probably, you know, the ritual of the training and things has kind of given her this clarity because training for the races has forced her to look at what other people were doing, right? She was observing other people. She was looking at how they were interacting with their horses. And she's more centered in herself. So that allows her to look outwards more. Mm, yeah, yeah. I've just been rereading some of the Casper Trakail book The Power of Ritual and talking about like the getting together and doing things as a community and the way that it strengthens and creates these bonds and I just think like that's that's what they're doing they're actually bonding over this and I also read another essay this week that I really love by Donald Hill who was Jane Kenyon's husband and she died and they were both poets but he talked about marriage as being this third thing where when you're married you don't gaze toward each other but you actually like find a third thing that your gaze is entwine and entangle and you look toward that together and I think that there's something about the way that they're training that is creating this this bond between them Puck and Sean might not have ever met or ever crossed paths otherwise but because they're both working toward the same goal they're able to connect in a way that's like more deep and more meaningful and more vulnerable than they ever have before and that's a a common piece of advice that you see in like relationship books and stuff is that the way forward with a strong relationship is to have a shared goal. It's when two people aren't working towards the same thing that you struggle to make it work because yeah, you have to work towards something. Otherwise, you're just like pulling against each other. Um, right. So shall we do character spotlights? Who would you like to spotlight this week? As I was reading it, like I felt so much for Gabe losing his future, losing his best friend in the future he was going to have with him. Like, it's just a really crappy thing to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, literally days before you're about to embark on this new life together. Yeah. Like, I moved out, and then a year later, my best friend moved out as well and moved in with me. And we had, like, I mean, there were obviously some fights and stuff, (laughs) but, like, we still love each other. And just knowing that I had that, like, future roommate that already loved me and I already loved was such a relief. And I can't imagine if I hadn't had that kind of support when I really needed it I don't know I feel bit so badly for Gabe look and he's trying he's growing up and he's doing so much for his family right now he's really present which he hasn't been so he gets he gets a little bit of love this week just from me because I think that he's had a really hard time and he's gonna have a hard time when he gets to the mainland and he only has Beach Gratton of the grunting to keep him company yeah and I think like Beach was obviously not like the (laughs) pillar of the friendship so that that'll be hard for them too it's a tough thing 
about you? Who do you want to spotlight? So I wanted to spotlight Sean because I think he's going through a lot. I think it's definitely a a time of upheaval for him where he's kind of really wrestling with his emotions and what he wants and what his future is going to be. He's got so much on the line. But I think the thing that really stood out for me is him doing the ritual at Tommy's funeral. I think yeah. it's a tough burden he carries being the water horse expert and just being expected to do these things. And of course he agrees to do it. And I just wonder, you know, how many of these has he had to do? And, you know, I think these spiritual rituals do take a toll on you. Like, He's standing in the water. He's saying these heavy words. Like, he's doing all these things. Like, that has to cost him something. Yeah. And he is just 19 years old. It's such a burden he carries. And He's a baby. You know, he steps up because it's the right thing to do. And he wants to do right by Thisbe as, and to do right by the water horses as much as anything. And I think, you know, just a shout out for anyone who does hard things when it probably costs them a lot yeah well next week we're going to be reading chapters 59 through 63 through the themes of courage and generosity and it's all coming to a head oh my gosh oh my gosh well thank you for potting with me it was so good and this is such a hard heavy section but i think we like totally nailed it so yeah thanks for sharing it with me sharing the burden Yeah, thanks for bringing awareness to all of the things that I didn't see the first time around. (laughs) All right, well, I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.